Welcome to another ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and this week we have a special program focusing on the game that so many of us play, doubles. If you're after some tips to improve your own game, or you just want to hear from the very best in the business, stick with us for the next 30 minutes or so. And where better to start than with the year-end world number one doubles player, Wesley Kuhlhoff. It's a title that the Dutchman shares with his partner, Neil Skupski, after they claimed seven tour-level titles in a whirlwind first year together. That included three Masters 1000 titles. So what's working so well? Jill Krabus asked the question. Obviously, I have yeah, many same interests, lots of things to talk about, fantasy football, those kind of things. So, um, yeah, that click was easily made. But yeah, you never know, obviously, if you start playing together in the beginning of the year, you never know how it turns out. I had a yeah tough time in 2021. Um, there was no really not really a, a click with with Lukas Kobot, uh, although he was ranked top 10 and um, played many matches against him and thought it would work out. In the end, it didn't. So you never know if you start a new partnership how it will end up. But yeah, we also I mean, the idea was to play together, so we thought it was going to work out. But yeah. to be yeah to claim number one as a team before That's even the awesome. little final starts. Um, yeah, we didn't really think that was going to happen, yeah. but um, happily, yeah, very happy. Oh, that's it did. amazing! Yeah, congratulations. Um, Neil also mentioned he's learned from you, especially being at the NATO finals because you've won it before, and to expect different things like a big stadium, lots of fans for the doubles as well. Um, I, I guess generally talking about doubles, how do you feel like that can be happen more often throughout the year? Um, Is there something on the doubles that could be changed or done where you get more of this experience? Well, I mean, I think we did get a lot of experience this year um, because we played four Masters finals. We play always in the bigger stadiums, especially the finals. Um, I think normally up to the semifinals, we always play on the the smaller courts with less crowd, uh, which is normal because we put singles guys on the the center court. Um, But yeah, a bit more center court time would would be great, obviously, if that's possible. Um, sometimes they, they, some tournaments do it actually. They, mm. There's one evening session, for example, where there's one doubles match and one singles match. Um, that's always nice for us to play on, on big, big arenas and big stages and big stadiums, um, as long as there's also a bit of a crowd, because you also don't really want to play in a big stadium when there's no crowd. I mean, I did that in 2020 in, in London in the, during the corona times. Um, yeah, it felt a bit empty, and also mm. playing Arteresh when there was no one watching. Yeah, that's also not really what you want. but. Um, we were happy enough or lucky enough also to play four Master Series finals uh, with a decent crowd. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, just the scheduling wise, um, obviously I understand that singles guys are uh, are playing on the, on the bigger stages, but it would be nice for us to to somehow play like a first, second, or mm. even a quarterfinal on a on a big court. Yeah, well, you, uh, having those lack of fans a couple of years ago, you bring so much energy to the court in general. Um, you have good like fire, and it's it's mm-hmm. fun to watch. How are you able to do that when there's no fan? Because it is easier to do that when there's fans and an atmosphere. Yeah. How are you able to mentally just continue to do that to bring that fire when you're out there when it's co- so quiet? I think I learned a lot from that because I used to be very within myself, didn't really show emotion, kind of didn't really want to go too much up and down in energy throughout a match. So I just kept basically a, a, a straight line throughout the whole match just within myself and um, to compliment uh, and, and try to fire up your, your partner. But for me personally, it was more of a, yeah, like to say, a quiet ride throughout the match. But I think 2020 learned, or I learned that I need to, um, um, yeah, you have to bring yourself something because you can normally feast off the energy of the crowd. 
and you can use the crowd, but um, you know, when there's no one to, uh, to cheer you on and stuff, then you need to do it yourself. So, um, yeah, uh, I think I emerged a bit from my shell in those, in those, in that, yeah, what was it, two years, one and a half years, uh, to bring a bit more fire to, uh, to the team. Um, it also depends a bit on who you're playing with, who's your partner, because if your partner brings a lot of fire, sometimes it's good to have a little bit of a cooler guy mm. <laughs> next to him. Um, used to play with Matvey Medokup, for example. He was the one who was bringing the fire, and mm. I was the one who like, tamed him a bit sometimes. And how is it now? You're now it is actually, I'm, yeah, I'm, I think I'm uh, bringing a little bit more energy now towards Neil in certain moments, but sometimes when I'm down, he takes over. Mm. So I think that uh, chemistry is very good, and um, I think that's how it needs to be. Um, I mean, you have um, Roya and Arevalo, they're both very hyped up. Mm. Uh, they bring both very good energy to the court, um, which is sometimes can be a bit too much even. Um, but I think we have a, have a great balance, and um, uh, I think naturally now I am, yeah, I'm outing a bit more on the court, um, so I can get Neil fired up as well sometimes, and myself as well. I want to talk about your support group a little bit. Your parents, obviously, both athletes, mm-hmm. former athletes. Um, what what have you learned from your parents? What have they brought to your career? I know your mom's here. I met her. Yeah. Super nice, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, she said she didn't travel that much, but what have they brought your parents? What have you learned from them? Um, well, mainly discipline, uh, planning as well. Um, yeah, my dad used to play um, football in, in Holland for the national team in the 80s. My mom used to play field hockey as well for the, for the national team. And my brother used to play soccer for... Um, professional soccer club in uh, in Holland so yeah uh, I mean we had well me and my brother so it was basically a lot of planning um, fo- like the football was a bit more organized with picking him up from home and just dropping him off back home but tennis was a lot of carpooling and mm. who's going who's gonna bring who where and so yeah it was very disciplined very strict everything um, was tennis your only sport was that no, I played for, uh, football as well okay until I was like 10, 11, I think, and then I had to choose. When did you start tennis? When I was four, four I think. Okay. So and I did both. Um, yeah, because I watched all the tapes from my dad. Um, his parents all recorded everything, all his goals and, and all his matches. <laughs> so, yeah, I was watching them all the time. So, obviously, I was playing soccer as well. And, um, yeah, when I was like 10, 11, I think I had to choose because I couldn't combine it anymore. It was too much time. So then I chose tennis because um, back then I... I like more the individualistic mm. sport. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you Why did you like that? Because I could just blame myself if things okay. were not really going well, uh, instead of blaming it on the teammate who doesn't pass the <laughs> ball when I'm free in, uh, in the goal, but he took the shot. And um, so yeah, it was a bit more easier just to blame yourself and also to um, yeah, cheer yourself on and um, compliment yourself if things were going well. Um, so yeah, brought up with um, yeah lots of sport around. Watched a lot of soccer matches as well from my dad because he became a coach after that so but yeah like you uh, like I said discipline was uh, discipline Mm. and planning was the main two things and next week we'll have an in-depth chat for you on how Wesley Koolhoff plans his matches with his coach Rob Morgan Koolhoff and Skupski nearly went all the way at last month's NITO ATP finals losing out to eventual champions Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury in the semi-finals. For Salisbury, it capped off a brilliant year during which he also rose to number one in the Pepperstone ATP rankings and included a US Open title defence with Ram. According to the Brit, it's a team that's always improving, even when they're not playing their best. 
that's one of the things we've, we've always said we've improved the most as a team over mm. the last what, four years that we've been playing together um, is that yeah, in the tough situations, we've kind of find a way. If we're not playing our best, find a way to to win those mm. matches, even if we're even if we're not not feeling amazing on court, or, or we're struggling, or maybe we feel like our opponents are playing better. Just just finding a way to to get through those matches. There's always a bit of kind of adapting and changing what you're doing depending on who you're playing against, um, what you think they're going to do. Um, but and yeah, I guess a lot of people know our games pretty well. Know now so they know what we do well and maybe not things we don't do so well but I think we both improved a lot some of our um, some of our weaknesses and I think yeah at the end of the day you've got to back what what you do well as as well so I think even if even if uh, people kind of know know what you do if you if you execute it well mm. then it's often tough to defend against that so um, we kind of back ourselves in the big moments to just um, produce the things that we know we can do well. I mean, you're one of the fittest guys out there. So other than fitness, is there anything else that you feel like has helped you? Yeah, I mean, we've got an amazing, amazing team around us. I've got so much. I'm so lucky to get so much support from from the LTA. We've got our coach, Louis Kaya, get the physios and SNC support, which is which is incredible. And then we've obviously got our private coaches with us, David O'Hare and my private coach back home, Justin Shering, and um, see a sports psychologist with the LTA as well. So there's there's so many people that 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 support us and we're so fortunate to, to have that um but yeah it's all just just little things to try and help us to perform better on, on the day yeah. and uh yeah we just keep keep trying to improve and keep trying to trying to get better and yeah we i think that's that's one thing that we we both do well as we we try and get that extra one percent two percent to just make ourselves better better players and I asked this to Rajiv as well you guys look like you're having a lot of fun out there very entertaining to watch um, how do you keep that joy um, as a team even when maybe there's some challenges like how do you keep that joy and fun it's it's difficult <laughs> at times um, yeah it can be very difficult I mean I'd be yeah openly admit that there's often times that I don't enjoy it that I don't uh, that yeah my frustrations emotions get get the better of me and um, I do struggle to, yeah, perform in in the way that I want to, and and don't don't enjoy it because I'm not I'm not feeling good out there. But but that's that's the challenge, and I think that's something we've done often do well in our matches is to get ourselves into the best state so that we can perform at our best or give ourselves the best chance to perform well, and um, and also to enjoy it because that's yeah I think when we're that's a big thing for me as well. If I am enjoying it, if I'm enjoying being out there competing. Uh, whatever the situation, then that also gives myself the best chance to play well. Joe Salisbury with Jill Krabus. And as Joe mentioned, one major factor behind their success is David O'Hare, who himself points to another mentor in Louis Kaye. You know, Joe and I were kind of privy to, to getting some core time with Louis. I mean, I think he, he's dubbed, you know, as the doubles guru, but I think actually, you know, that does him a little bit of an inju- injustice. I think he's fanatical about tennis and uh and his approach is it's a systematic approach and and he's just yeah he's he's really special it's it's been yeah he's he's been almost like a tennis father for me to be able to kind of sit beside him during these matches and and pick his brain and uh and he's really taken me under his wing um which has been great but he he ultimately he is he is a great vision for for the potential of the pair and 
and yeah I kind of like try and implement what he sees on a daily basis and but he's very respectful you know he knows I'm the team coach so in weeks like this uh, you know I lead and, and you know often it'll will default to Louis and see see what his thoughts are but um, he's been in you know such an important figure in in terms of my like tennis knowledge and and coaching and you know ultimately what I aspire to be in coaching because he's so well-rounded and it's not it's so much more than just like formations and tactics it's addressing the performer we talk a lot about and uh just communication styles and you know he really is an encyclopedia when it comes to all this kind of stuff I mean I think you touched on a a, a few things but some of the biggest tips that would you say you you got from him or you're getting from him still um there's a wealth really but but yeah i mean i think this this performer stuff is yeah. is really good so we, we try and separate you know the tennis on the day and and just control what we control and and you know our effort and our energy and being good partners to one another you know we really you know emphasize the team and, and being a unit out there together um and just playing with your, you know, the performers playing with your head, heart, and legs. If that's not there, if you're not focused, if you're not engaged, if your heart's not in it, if you're not trying your best, well, then we don't want to talk about the tennis. We just merely want to talk about you as a performer. So I think that's pretty profound. That is profound. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I think his, his approach, you know, he, he's almost a mathematician, and, and, you know, we really kind of just want to, tr- you know, establish a game plan that's going to win 52% of the points and it's these it's these little battles that if we can kind of force our opponents into doing something that they're maybe not necessarily comfortable executing you know over the course of the match we hope that they'll break down and, and those few percentage of points will will land on our side and ultimately culminate in a team win Successful doubles is all about honing the finer details but one pair's success this year speaks all about chemistry and even alchemy Last year, Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Heliovara were still playing challengers. This year, they had a last-minute entry into the Rome Masters and ended up in Turin at the Tour Finals. It's been one hell of a journey. Yeah, we started playing together for the first time exactly two years ago, actually. Mm-hmm. those challenger event in Portugal. And, yeah, we were working hard last year and improving our games but this year it just started clicking really really well we had a couple of good training sessions and just managed to build confidence throughout the year and all of a sudden we're beating uh, the top teams of the world and it's just it's a very very positive circle it just keeps on going yeah and Lloyd why do you feel like it's kind of come together for for you guys this year I think we've really started to understand each other and understand what each other brings to the court, each other's like pros and cons and kind of work with that rather than work against it essentially. Mm-hmm. I think on a very basic level, for an example, it would be I'm more of a server, he's more of a returner, so then it's filling the holes and kind of working around that and then working on the opposite of what needs to be worked mm-hmm. on essentially. Talk about your personalities a little bit, um, How maybe how different they are, how similar they are. What's your take on that? It, it is true that I'm more of a celebrator. <laughs> Lloyd is, is the calmer one. Maybe that's also something we, we just have accepted and we know how to work with it. Like uh, Probably my role in the team is to bring a lot of energy to the court. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah we we accept that it's 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 great and also that i know that it's kind of my my job to bring the energy of course lloyd can do it better and better all the time and sometimes he needs to, need to rescue me in that part of the game as well but it's it's nice I, i just love to celebrate i think when you win matches you made a good job why don't you why wouldn't you celebrate have you always been like that or is that something that's gotten stronger as you've gotten older I mean, I, I've always loved competition, and competition has the element of winning and losing, and of course, winning is is much better. And I just, I just love it. Maybe nowadays I'm older. I know it's it's not gonna last forever, so I'm gonna enjoy every moment to the full. And Lloyd, that sometimes that energy that your partner brings can be infectious. It yeah, can, absolutely. You know, rub off on you a little bit. Has that changed the way you approach matches or you um, approach the calendar year? No, I mean. I think I've tried to work on bringing a bit more energy to match his. Mm. But as he said, it's kind of his role to bring that. That's his role in the team. I do find it hilarious because <laughs> off the court, he's kind of stereotypical finish. He's quite quiet and timid. Uh-huh. And then on the court, he's so loud and so much energy. <laughs> so it is quite the juxtaposition. But yeah, yeah I love it. It's really fun. When, so when that happens, is it something that loosens you up on the court? That Do you feel that way? Because sometimes when you get a laugh, that kind of settles the nerves or settles how you're feeling yeah I think it's more so when he's like that I know he's really locked in and that's when he's going to bring his best so it kind of yeah comforts Mm -hmm. me and settles me and how about off the court how much uh, time do you guys spend off the court I would say that we also respect that we we need some time away from each other even in the tournaments we see see each other a lot on the court so there's no reason to go for dinners every night so and we're both that kind of people that we We need some time alone every now and then. So I think we we know each other really well and we know that we don't have to be together all the time. And I think that's worked very well. We're, yeah, we don't get bored <laughs> with each other when we don't see <laughs> see so often. And what, what are some of your interests, Harry, off the court? Mine personally? Yes. Uh, uh, biggest interest is probably aviation. I really okay. love airplanes and tra- traveling and Is that is that something from a young kid that you've been interested? Yeah, in? yeah. My dad yeah. used to take me to the airport every Sunday when I was I was little, and that's. I mean, this is kind of a dream job for that. Also, as a tennis player, you travel a lot. Yeah, is that something you would pursue after tennis? Yeah, actually, I I didn't play tennis for almost five years. Mm-hmm. At one point during my career, and I tried to, I applied to become a pilot, but I didn't pass the medical. So here I am playing okay. tennis again. <laughs> well, we're glad you're on the court, but I know. maybe in the future. And Lloyd, for you, what are your what do you like to do off the court? What are your interests? I mean, I like other sports, but for me at the minute, I mean, I wouldn't call it an interest, but I'm studying a master's in business administration. Okay. So that's actually taking. Uh, is that online? No, it's no. actually in person, oh. part time from Loughborough University. Okay. So that's taken up quite a lot of my spare time and. Another reason, good reason, that we don't always have to be together because I can kind of go do my own thing, study, and try and finish this course. So when when are you able to do that? When so ten, sen- when there's really no off season in tennis? Yeah, it's essentially like every one one module is every six to eight weeks, and for three years, and I'm in my last year, and it's just kind of yeah, we've been really lucky. The weeks that my modules are, it's fit very well. And sometimes it was the week of Paris, so I had to kind of take mm. it online. If I wasn't mm. playing a match or training, I'd run back, get behind my laptop, and join the class. But yeah, it hasn't been hasn't been easy. Yeah, it has been easy. Yeah. And last thing I know, we all know you guys did a podcast. I think this summer maybe about the experience in Rome when you 
weren't there and then collaborated together and got to play Rome. And from that point on, you've done well. Did, did that particular event that happened or that particular tournament, did that change your attitude at all or change your perspective to have such a great rest of the year? Looking back, I think it had a massive impact on our year. Mm -hmm. At the time, I didn't think so as much, but it was just more so that was our first real opportunity to play the top, top guys in a tournament that we'd never been in before. That was our first Masters 1000 because of our ranking and just being able to compete in that. And we played the world number one, we beat the world number one. We kind of knew our level was there. We just never got the opportunity. So it was just more, for me, a confidence booster and actually realisation that we could be one of the best teams in the world. Yeah, that's where you want to be in the biggest events of the year. And I think also because we didn't have any preparation to the first match there, we arrived the same morning. It also gave perspective that you don't always have to have perfect preparation. You can go to a match. We we just, I don't know, somehow learn to believe in our abilities no matter what the preparation is. And we can we can beat anyone in the world. We beat the number one number ones there. And even without a perfect preparation. So that just gave us confidence that we can we can really do well. Another player loving life on tour is Marcelo Aravallo, who at the age of 32 won his maiden Grand Slam title this year at Roland Garros alongside his friend and teammate Jean-Julien Roger. It's because we have a great energy on the court. Uh, I, can, uh, I can tell he's a good friend also of the court so we have a lot of confidence we can talk about uh, basically anything uh, we are in a stage of of life i will say uh, similar you know mm-hmm. even though we have a 10 years different but uh, we both have a kid up around the same age so we understand each other you know when we travel and i think that's uh that's uh, pretty important you know to uh, give a uh, each other uh, the space uh, that we need. You know, sometimes I know that he needs time with his family to spend with his kid. Uh, sometimes he knows that I need the same time uh, to spend time with my family, with my kid, because uh, sometimes we don't uh, both travel uh, at the same time with our families. Sometimes he travels with the families and then I'm alone with my coach or vice versa, you know. So I think uh, all those things together... Uh, uh, it's been so important for us to, to be a successful team. Same question I asked Jules. How do you keep it fun out there for both of you? I think uh, the fun part and the, and, the, and the passion for me comes uh, natural. You know, I don't, I don't need to force it on court. I think uh, sometimes I go back on the videos and, and look my matches and I was like, wow, do I was that intense in that moment? You know, <laughs> I, I don't even like believe that I was that intense. You know, when I'm coming in the room looking at the videos, but, but a yeah, good intensity. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think just just uh, come out of me just uh, natural, you know, and and and, uh, and I think that the, the passion and the motivation I I keep it uh, because at the beginning of the year we we always set uh, new goals, you know, and then we we wake up every day and we work hard to to reach uh, those goals because if I don't reach those goals, I feel like I didn't uh, succeed, you know, so. Uh, sometimes you don't reach those goals, but then there is always a new opportunity. There is always a new calendar year that you can reach those goals that you didn't reach, let's say, like uh, the last year mm-hmm. or so. You know, so those are the little things that, that keep me keep me alive. You know, like to to keep uh, moving forward. I also want to talk about where you're from, El Salvador. Um, first, first player from Central America to win a Grand Slam. Congrats at Roland Garros this Thank year. Thank you. 
What does that mean for you, and how often do you get to go back to El Salvador? Okay, uh, yeah, being being the first uh, Salvadorian and Central American player to uh, win a Grand Slam, it uh, it was a huge success uh, for my country and for the region. You know, uh, I really, well, I didn't even know until uh, later that uh, I was the 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 first one. I wasn't focused on that. I know I was trying to 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 win as many matches as as possible, and I had my. Uh, my goals are uh, clear and one of my main goals in life was always uh, become a Grand Slam champion. You just gave me the chills. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's super important for me, not just, not, not just uh, because uh, I got the title, but the, the, the impact that I can make in the, in the new generation of, of kids uh, back in El Salvador, back in Central America, you know, uh, did you go back after the front after you won the French? I did, yeah, yeah. I did. And how was the reception? Uh, it was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. Uh, the president uh, received me at the at the president house, and uh, a lot of people were like super happy to uh, to have me there, and, and everyone wants to to have interviews with me or like uh, just talk to me about the the, the the French Open. So it was it was something uh, new for me, you know, like something different. But uh, it was it was an amazing uh, moment to to share the, that uh, trophy and, and and that win with my with my closest people. You mentioned not many sports people coming out of El Salvador. How did how did it come about for you then for tennis? And did you play other sports? No, I mean uh, my parents were a member of a, a beach club. Uh, in Sonsonate, which is where I grew up, Sonsonate is a small town in, uh, in El Salvador, maybe like 40 to 50 minutes away from the capital city. And they were playing tennis. They were playing tennis as a uh, social, you know, with their friends. And then they got me a racket, and that's how I got uh, into tennis. But also, I, I was lucky because my older brother, uh, Rafael, he's four years older than me. And uh, by the time I grabbed my first racket, he was already playing uh, national tournaments and he was traveling uh, around Central America. So I wanted to be like him, you know. I saw him traveling around Central America playing uh, tennis tournaments. So I told my parents, like, I, I want to be like, like my big brother. I also want to travel uh, to Guatemala, to Costa Rica, to play against other kids, you know. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of my, my guy. Marcelo Aravalo with Jill Krabus and flying the flag for El Salvador. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Travelling the world is a logistical hurdle that every player has to jump over. Throw in a family and everything starts to get even more complicated, as New Zealand's Michael Venus will tell you. You know, obviously with one, uh, we were all in, in one room and, and things a bit easier. Uh, so they probably travelled 90% of the time, um, you know, from, from when she was really young, as soon as she was born pretty much. Uh, and then once the pandemic uh, hit, we actually went back to New Zealand, and they were in New Zealand, so I didn't see them for six months the first time. Oh my gosh! Um, wow, that's long. Yeah, so that was tough, but there was no other way to uh, to do it. I couldn't get back in the country. Yeah. Uh, and then. Oh, great! That's right. Oh my gosh. Um, and then again, my wife uh, was pregnant with our second child, and I was home for the birth, and I left two weeks after, and I I didn't see her for the first six months after that too. Oh. Uh, and in the end, it got to the point where we decided, 
you know, we needed to be together as a family and that. So, um, yeah, they started travelling, um, you know, towards the end of last year and, and we've been doing that since. And so how did you, ma- for six months, how did you manage? I mean, thank goodness for Zoom and all that stuff now, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> obviously difficult for me not not being there s- to see them and, and spend time, but a lot harder for m- for my wife juggling it all and that. But uh, you know, lucky she had the support of um, family uh, back home to to help her um, through that situation. Uh, uh, yeah, just thankful that we're not having to uh, live through that right now again. And so, since you've had the two kids, has that changed your approach to how you schedule the calendar year? Has that changed at all? A little bit. Um, it's obviously you want to be play as close to home as possible. So if the week doesn't go as planned, you can get back and, and spend those extra few days if they're not travelling with you those weeks. And yeah, I think not so much the the calendar, but I guess more the perspective on things. It's uh, you know I used to come off and you'd be a, a bit down, and you know you'd think about tennis for the whole time, what you could have done or, or, or what didn't work, and, and how you want to do it better, but. Now when you come off and the family's there and, you know, the match gets put aside pretty quickly and the kids, they, they don't really care what's happened or, or even ask about the tennis match or anything. They just want to play and do different things. So I think that's the really cool aspect is you, um, you can completely put it to one side and, and enjoy the other aspects of life. How, um, how often are you in London and how often are you in New Zealand? So we're in New Zealand pretty much just December. Just December? Just December. Do you, you have a house there? Uh, we we kind of Airbnb oh, while we're there. Oh, okay, because um, you're mostly in London. Yeah, okay. so so our place is in London. And then, yeah, we play I play Australia, and then after Australia, yeah, we kind of head back, and then it's uh, over staying or based out of London throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. So you pretty much call London home? We do call London home. It's just... You still don't want to say it's home. <laughs> no, it is, but, you know, you... My wife is from New Zealand also, and we both grew up there. Both all of our families are there. Um, so to us, New Zealand definitely feels, I guess, a lot more like home. Although, uh, yeah, how it is, um, you know, it's just not possible to, to yeah. do while, while I'm playing. Where, where in New Zealand? Uh, Auckland. Auckland, okay, yeah. And do you miss it? Yeah, but we so, do. I mean, I know your family's there, but do you miss New Zealand in general? Yeah, definitely do. And it's amazing, actually, how much it it's changed over the years or and is changing and we notice it each time we go back whether it's you know the place is growing and and different things are happening and and that so it's uh it's quite interesting to be away and come back and, and kind of see the changes uh rather than potentially you know if you're living in there the whole time you you don't see it as much yeah all in all, it's been a successful year for players from the Southern Hemisphere, especially two Aussie pairs. Matt Ebden and Max Purcell claimed the Wimbledon title after the special Ks. Tanasi Kokonakis and Nick Kyrgios won their first Grand Slam in Melbourne. Besides Kyrgios, not many players at the top of the singles game also play much doubles. And that, according to Australian legend John Newcomb, is a real shame. When you talk about doubles, you you're bringing up uh, something that's a bit of a sore point with me because it's just a pity to see doubles, you know, none of the top players competing in doubles. Yeah, it's uh, 90% of uh, players who play tennis around the world play more doubles than singles. So I understand best of five sets that the top players don't want to play, but uh, as far as doubles go, I'd like to see them having to play more doubles in the in the regular tournaments where it's two out of three sets um 
But yes, it's it's great to see Aussies doing well uh, in the doubles because we've always had such a, a great tradition of good doubles players. I mean, in your day, you'd play a best of five singles, you then play a best of five doubles, and you might have to play mixed on the same day. Kyrgios and Kokonakis pulled out of the doubles at Wimbledon after one round because they said uh, they were worried about the length of matches. Do you think that's reasonable in today's tennis? Yeah, I can only go on my experiences. And then a number of the tournaments that we played during the year, you get through to the final and um, and you play best of five sets in singles. And Rochi and I travelled together a lot, uh, would play one another a uh, five-set singles match and... and, um, and and then an uh, hour and a half later, we'd go on and play the doubles final, best of three sets. Uh, so to us, it was just normal to do that. Um, maybe we played more matches than the guys do today. Not that they're not very fit, but maybe we were more more match fit to do that sort of thing. I think when all the prize money went up and up and up and there was so much prize money in singles, perhaps guys didn't feel a need to play doubles. And talking of prize money, the Croatian pair Nikola Mektic and Mate Pavic claimed their fair share. Having started the year as the world's number one team, they may have failed to win a Grand Slam in 2022, but still claimed five titles and a place at the Tour Finals, which Nikola Mektic was still very proud of. The fact that we are here means that we had a very good year again. Mm-hmm. Maybe comparing to to the last year, maybe some will, will think this is unsuccessful, but, but no, I think we are aware of it maybe in the beginning we we had we were struggling to to maybe adapt to to not such a great result like last year but then we realized it's it's still it's uh, the level of doubles today it's so so close and uh, it's just crazy to expect uh, the same you know to be number one to be at the top the whole time it's, it's just crazy so what what exactly do you, did you and Mate do to have another successful year because there's more expectations now because you had such a great 2021. Did you think about that going into this year? Yes, as I said, we we had a little, some struggles in the beginning because it was not a great start and we were just kind of a surprise and maybe expecting the, the results just to come, maybe not, I don't know, me personally, for example, I think I was, after a couple of losses, I was going into the matches with the mindset of, okay, now we really have to win, which I realized later it was just a wrong approach. Like, you cannot, you know, you cannot control the, the, the outcome. And I realized that later, and I was just going into the matches, okay, I want to do this good, I want to do th- that good, and then if we win in the end, great. If not, I want to be happy with my performance. And that was the goal uh, moving forward. So I think mentally we, we learned some things, and... Uh, and yeah, uh, I mean, first year we, we didn't have any setbacks, basically. So this year we, we had to adapt a little bit to, to some not so good results, which I think uh, in the end uh, we, we, we pulled through, basically. We are here, so I'm very optimistic about the next season. Double teams everywhere, you have been warned. That is it for this week. Come back this time next week, though, when we feature a few fairly decent players back in their day. Messrs. Federer, Sampras, Borg, Agassi, McEnroe, to name but a few. It should be well worth a listen. In the meantime, remember that a full-length exclusive chat hits the channel every Wednesday 
And for the latest news, including the recent ATP award winners, head to atptour.com. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening.